I was in a tremendous amount of grief and the trauma of losing my mother wasn't really something that anyone was helping me to cope with. Truthfully, when my mom died, a part of me died with her and it took me a long time to bring that part of myself back to life. For me, the experience and the root of my drug use was escapism. The drugs weren't even really the problem, they were the solution. The problem was my insecurity, the problem was my trauma, the problem was that I was in pain. And I was looking for love and belonging and a sense of self-worth and purpose. Welcome to the Father's Day. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. Thank you so much for being with me. Remember that the Father's Day is now on Locals.com. So click the link, enter the description to support our work. Also, you can help us by becoming a member of the Father's State there on the YouTube channel. And I do appreciate it. I have with me Denasia Reese. Denasia Reese. She is a strategist, a writer, and the author of Don't Hurt Yourself. Don't Hurt Yourself. A memoir of healing through grief, trauma, and addiction. Yes, that's me. I'm so glad I said your name right. You did. I wanted to say Desiree. <laughs> I'm glad I got it right. Welcome yes, to the me show. Too. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. A very interesting book. You, dealt, you have dealt with some very interesting issues. So I really want to talk to you about them. Um, but for, let me add, do you believe that human beings are in a fallen state? No, I don't think that human beings are in a fallen state. I think we could all be a little bit more elevated in a lot of different ways. I think mentally, spiritually, physically, we could all elevate ourselves, but I don't know that I necessarily believe that we are in a fallen place. And, and, and you, what do you, what does fallen state mean to you when I say, when I ask? Well, I mean, I guess that's probably subjective, right, like most things, but in my mind, it speaks to someone who's in peril um, or who might be down and yeah. needing to be lifted up or perhaps too far gone and unable to be redeemed, which I absolutely don't believe. I think there's possibility for redemption, forgiveness uh, for everyone. Um, have you noticed that human beings are evil? No. I think that most human beings are inherently good. I think that... Really? Yeah, I think a lot of the circumstances in life can force people into positions where they act outside of that. But I do very much believe that inherently people do want to do good and be good. Um, and where's the proof that they are good and not evil? I don't know that I believe in evil necessarily. Oh, really? I do think that there are very corrupt forces in the world. I think many of them... Might not be the things that people would think of when I say that, but I do think there is a lot of corruption in the world, but I don't think that those people, even who do corrupt things, are evil people. I think that they are acting from a place of scarcity and greed and other forms and forces. But isn't that driven by evil? No, that's just not something I personally believe in. I think, yeah. Do you, so you don't believe evil exists? I don't necessarily believe that evil exists. Do you believe good exists? Absolutely. And how can you have good but not evil? 
I don't think of things in such a binary way. I think that there's a lot of room for a middle ground. And I think if we start to put things on the side of good and evil, there's a lot of room to lose humanity. And that's terrifying to me because I think <laughs> our humanity is our most precious thing. Really? And where does good come from? I think good comes from our hearts. I think it comes from God and what we're born with. I think it comes from the human kindness that exists in the world. I think it comes from love, which in my mind is the most important thing in the world. Love of yourself, of your family, your friends, your community, love of the world, and acting from love. I think that's where good comes from. So you do believe there's a God but not a devil? Yes. Really? Yeah. And why one but not the other? I think that God is the force that lives inside all of us. I think that God is the higher power of the universe, all of these things. I think that the devil is a tool that's been created to control people and to shame people. And I completely reject the idea of shame. I think shame is the antithesis to healing, which is so much of what my book is about, is releasing yeah. that shame so that you can learn to heal and come into a peace with yourself. Really? Yeah. One last question about evil for now. Do people do evil things? I don't know that I would call it that. I do think that people do things that are unkind, that are corrupt, again, that are driven by greed, capitalism, things like that. But I wouldn't call it evil personally. Are you a Christian? No, I don't identify as a Christian. Really? I don't. Uh, I don't. And, and, and what are you? When I it comes to religion, what are you? I am a person who's very spiritual, who believes in God and who connects with God in many different ways. I pray. I prayed just today that we would have a good interview and um, have a great conversation with one another. I pray for my family and my friends. I, you know, have a deep and meaningful relationship with God, but I don't necessarily identify as a Christian and um, I don't really practice any sort of religion. Oh, I see. Have you ever been a Christian? No, I have not identified that way. Never your whole life? Your parents were that way or anything? Well, yes, my grandmother is a... God-fearing church-growing woman. She goes to yeah. a wonderful church in Orange County, actually the biggest black, the largest black church in Orange County. I was raised in that church my whole life. Um, I believe in many of the values that Christianity um, purports to uphold. I think that a lot of people who call themselves Christian don't necessarily behave in alignment with those values themselves, unfortunately. Amazing. So your book is called Don't Hurt Yourself, a memoir of healing through grief, trauma and addiction. Mm -hmm. And I've seen uh, at least a couple of your interviews or discussion about this. Yeah. So you went through a lot of trauma. I did. And what, uh, describe, describe trauma for me. What does that mean? So trauma, and again, you know, I'm not uh, a psychiatrist or, right. you know, or anything like that. But for me, the trauma that I experienced was, one, you know, just growing up a young black queer woman in the world can be a very traumatic experience. And in addition to that, um, I dealt with a lot of anxiety and depression as a child. And, you know, I still deal with some of that to this day. And unfortunately, my mother uh, passed away when I was 18 years old, and that sent me sort of down a bit of a spiraling path, so to speak, um, you know, with the grief of dealing with the loss of her and, you know, coming into my own and some of the other things that I was grappling with as well. So that's what trauma was in my experience, but it shows up for different people in a lot of different ways. And so is grief different than trauma? Yes, I do think of grief as being different. What is grief? Grief, you know, it's that quote from a wonderful show, WandaVision. Grief is really just uh, love with nowhere to go. I think that's, I might be paraphrasing a bit, but that's really what grief is in my mind. It's when you love someone, you love something, or you get attached to something or someone, and then you lose them, you know, or 
the perception of losing them, sometimes with actual death of, you know, losing a person, but sometimes it could be, grief can be losing a job. I think in the pandemic, a lot of people experienced a lot of grief, again, not just of losing the people that we lost as all a right. society, but also, you know, again, losing jobs, experiences, homes, all of those things. Um, so grief come from a loss of something. Yes. Is it emotional? Do you feel pain? Do people feel pain? Absolutely. Grief pain? Absolutely. You haven't experienced grief, Jesse? No. no? Well, I mean, you're very lucky in that. But yeah, grief is very much an emotional pain, but it can also, again, show up in a lot of different ways physically. Um, yeah, it, it can manifest in many different ways. And then trauma is a pain too, right? Well, trauma, I think, uh, is a little bit separate from grief, but I do think they're tied together, and that's part of why I kind of tied them together in my story, because the grief of losing my mother was one thing, right? Like, that was one kind of piece of my emotional experience. But then the trauma of that loss, you know, I was there when she passed away. It was a very traumatic experience, uh, something I don't wish on anybody, you know, in terms of that pain and grief of seeing seeing you or seeing someone you love go on. You know, I think it can be beautiful sometimes, but it can also be traumatic. But they kind of live in the same neighborhood, but they are separate houses is oh, the way I, I would describe it. And so if someone has the emotions of grief, mm -hmm. and how would they know if it's grief or trauma? Would they have, for me, your book, they would know that it's because I lost a mama or something like that. It would mm -hmm. be grief. Yeah. And then trauma is? I would say trauma is kind of what comes after, right? So, oh, I see. for example, you know, what was traumatic about losing my mother was that she was only 37 years old. And, you know, you just don't expect, I'm 33 now. So if you yeah, came up to me and young. said, exactly, if you said you only got four years left, I'd say, what? You know, and so it was, it was shocking. And I think that was what made it traumatic because I thought I would have my mother my whole life. You yeah. know, it just sort of wasn't supposed to happen. So that's what part of what was dramatic about Will it. Were you well. grieving over the loss for you or for her? Oh, that's a great question. Um, both, actually. I exp I've experienced both. So it's been 15 years since she passed now. This year, it'll be 15 years. And I've experienced both. I experienced the grief for myself of losing a mother. And not just, you know, a mother. My mother was an incredible woman. She was smart, independent. Uh, she taught me a lot about art, music, culture, all of those things. And we were very close. Uh, but then later, you know, as I got older, I have experienced a lot of grief for her, you know, for the life that she didn't get to live. And I actually got caught up in that for a long time of wanting to do things so that I could almost have the life that she didn't have. And it took Amazing. me a while. Why, why have grief for her when she has no pain? Well, I mean, that's definitely a great way, a great perspective on it, that, you know, death is sort of a freedom from pain. I yeah. don't disagree with that. But, you know, I wanted to see her live her life. She raised me from her being 18 years old until I was 18. So there was just a lot of adult life, you know, traveling, uh, more school, education I know she wanted to do, just life she didn't get to experience. And, you know, I still feel sad that she didn't get to have even some of the experiences that I'm having as a young woman. Do you think that she would want you to have grief over her when she's not having none at all? I can't really speak to that because she's If not she here. was able to say, daughter, cut it out. I'm not in pain. I'm fine. Yeah. Do you, you, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. But I, you know, that's part of what is so upsetting about grief and what's so emotionally painful about grief yeah. is that you almost <laughs> wish that they could say, I'm okay, I you know, know, you can go on, but you don't, we don't get that, unfortunately. So that's a yeah. lot of, I think, where the grief comes from, honestly. And so were you raised by your father and mother? I was raised by my mother primarily, but my father was, um, he was somewhat present. Were you close to him? 
I was not. I am not. And why not? You're still not close to him? I'm still not close to him. Wow, that must be an uh, empty feeling. Um, you know, I've made my peace with it. I definitely had some, you know, issues with it. Again, like trauma, you know, from that, from growing up, you know, without uh, him being present for sure. But I, I am definitely not empty in any way. I'm very whole. I'm very well loved as well. So. You apologize to him for resenting him for not being there? No, I did not. Why not? Because I believe that I'm his child, um, and it was his responsibility to be a good father to me. Um, and I understand that in a lot of ways he thought he was. But when I tried to have many, you know, respectful adult discussions with him as I've grown up and become a woman about the ways that he wasn't that sort of a father, he has not been super responsive. And, you know, at a certain point, I just had to choose myself and stop engaging. So did you forgive him for that? Oh, yeah. Long you told him? Ago. Yeah. And did you forgive your mother for turning you away from him? She didn't turn him. She didn't turn me away from him at all. She gave him many opportunities, gave us many opportunities to form, in relation, form a relationship. I just don't think it was really in the cards. Did you forgive her for the mistake she made with you before she aspired? Um, yes, actually. I've, you know, all parents are imperfect. Yeah. She used to tell me that all the time. You know, before you came along, she would say this to me. Before you came along, I was an 18-year-old girl yeah. trying to figure it out. And then I was somebody's mother, you know? And there was a lot I didn't know. And for anything, even before she passed, when I was young as four, she would say, for anything that I'm not doing right or, you know, if you grow up later and you feel a way about anything, I'm here and I'm sorry. And that was also part of where the grief came from because when I did come into those feelings as an adult woman of, oh, you know, these are the sort of issues with my upbringing or et cetera, she would have sat down with me and really had those conversations and, you know, worked worked it through with me as a parent. So I was... And so before she aspired, that. you told her, I'm sorry for resenting you? I didn't resent her then, you know, I was just kind of living my life. I was 18 when she passed away, so right. I was just, you know, hanging out in the valley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Skateboarding with my friends. <laughs> so um, in, 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 in your book, your memoir, mm -hmm. um, you mentioned that the uh, in the uh, San Fernando Valley is intentionally segregated. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? So uh, the San Fernando Valley is actually a product of what's known as white flight, which is essentially where um, white people live in urban cities and neighborhoods and you know flee to the suburbs when they deem it to be sort of unsafe, which is really more, it's populated by people of color. <laughs> so most of the people that I grew up with were white people whose parents had moved out to the valley, which is the suburbs here in Los Angeles, for those of you who may not know. Right, um, here yeah. in L.A. Yep. Um, and did it affect you that it was segregated? Personally, did it affect you? Absolutely. And, you know, it's segregated, you know, in a sense, right? You know, that was definitely a metaphor that I was using in that, you know, if you go into the valley, if you go to Van Nuys, for example, there's a lot of people of color uh, roaming around, living there. You know, those are the sort of neighborhoods for us. I grew up in North Hollywood, as I like to say, before it was gentrified. You saw a lot of black and brown people, a lot of people of color. You went into Sherman Oaks. Studio City, Toluca Lake, which, you know, North Hollywood is this block, Studio City is this block. Right. Mostly white people over here, mostly black people and, and, you know, brown people over here. So it was segregated, not literally, you know, there weren't a colors in a white fountain or anything, but it was segregated in its own way. And yes, it affected me in that, you know, it's hard to see yourself, you know, and to see yourself in different kind of ways. And yeah, it, it definitely made me feel isolated and alone. Really? And so... By white people living on one side and you living on another side, mm -hmm. that made you feel, what? It made you feel... Isolated because... Isolated from what? You know, from, um, from more affirming kind of... Uh 
people in my community and more people that I could connect with who were being supported in the ways that I was because I went to magnet schools. So many of my classmates in these sort of like um, magnet programs were not people who look like me. And it was a, an odd sort of juxtaposition because I knew just as many talented, you know, black and brown kids in my neighborhood and they weren't being given the same access to those resources just because, you know, that's usually how that works. So it was hard to look at that and not feel, yeah, isolated and, and really? disappointed with that, yeah. And when you would tell your mother, I guess your mother was still living at the time, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. When you would tell her, I feel so isolated by those white folks over there, what would she say about it? You know, I, regrettably, I didn't express enough of that to her. Oh, I, I didn't have that language. A lot of what I talk about in the book, it's very much hindsight is twenty twenty. Right. So, you know, at 14 years old, I felt that way, but I couldn't put those words to it. And frankly, I did a lot of just sort of assimilating into the culture because that was the safest way to go. Because, you know, when you're a kid, you just want to fit in and you don't think about how wonderful and beautiful all your differences are. You see yourself as standing out, you know? Is it normal for... Uh, out a person over there to make a person over here feel a certain way? How can someone out there make you feel a certain way? That's, that doesn't seem like a normal way of living. Well, I reject normal, right, as a, as a, what is, as a word, as a phrase, as an idea. <laughs> normal is a setting on your washing machine. You know, your life is your life. Everybody's <laughs> lives are different, you so know. you don't believe there's a normal and an abnormal way of living? I absolutely do not. I think there's the way that your life is uh, being lived and the way really? that someone else's life is being lived. But yeah. don't you think it's abnormal that one person can make another person feel another way? No one should make you feel any kind of way. Oh, yes. Oh, we impact people in everything that we do. Haven't you ever met someone, you know, have you ever taken an Uber? Do you ever take, like, yes. an Uber or a Lyft? Uh -huh. Have you ever had someone, like, one of your Uber drivers say something to you that really impacted you? And you got out of the car and you were like, wow, I needed to hear that. That person didn't even know me, and somehow I needed to hear that. I think we can impact people whether we know it or not. You know, I've had people say something super small to me that stuck with me forever and inspired me. People... I don't even know sometimes, you know, a celebrity will say something on TV and you're like, well, that was inspiring or write a song, you know, a, a film and it touches you and touches your heart. And maybe that was their intention, but not specifically for you. You know, I, I grew up on a plantation in Alabama wow. under the Jim Crow laws. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Actual segregation. Yeah. yeah. And I remember colors on the side, whites yep. on the side and all yep. that. But black people were not so insecure that somebody over there can make them feel a certain way. Mm. They were independent. They fought for themselves, the blacks. They worked for themselves. They have family. So no, nobody can make them feel any kind of way. Mm. How come it's different now? I can't really speak to that because I, you know, we're coming from different times in the world. And I will say, I don't know if that's necessarily true because I think if that were true, we probably still would be under Jim Crow laws. I think obviously somebody felt away because, you know, we marched and boycotted and did all of these things to end that particular regime, you know, so. Well, that was a big mistake. The so-called civil rights movement was a setup put on by blacks to control blacks for power. Oh, wow. I don't know that, that I believe that. That was the worst thing that ever happened to the blacks in slavery or any other thing. Really? You believe that? I know that for a fact. You know that for Be a fact? For 100% fact, because huh. prior to the so-called civil rights movement, mm -hmm. black people were independent. They started businesses. They bought land. Mm -hmm. They had families, father, mother, for the most part, and mm -hmm. grandparents. And they knew that the battle was a spiritual battle, mm. that it wasn't about race at all. So whites and blacks got along, those who understood that and those who didn't, didn't. Mm. But they, they weren't, they weren't, black people weren't insecure then. They didn't, 
need somebody over there to validate them. Mm. What made the change? I can't speak to that. You know, I'm only born in 1990, <laughs> so I should ask you, what, what do you think made the change? When black people stop thinking for themselves and doing for themselves and they mm. allow someone else to tell them, other black people to tell them how to think. Mm, okay. And then they, they broke up the family. The civil rights leader broke up the family by giving black people welfare, making them rely on the government and oh. that kind of stuff. So blacks, the civil rights movement is the worst thing other than abortion that oh, ever wow. happened to the blacks. They have never recovered. That's a very interesting perspective. I can't say that I agree with that at all. But, but it's interesting, huh? That's absolutely your right to have that perspective. And look, you have it. You have a show. So clearly, you know, it's a perspective people are listening to. So It's interesting, though, right? Um, in some ways, yeah. Um, do you believe that uh, uh, white, white supremacy is this? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Why do the blacks feel that white people are superior to them? I definitely can't speak to the perspective of but all But why black do you people. feel that white people are superior to you? I definitely don't <laughs> think that white people are superior to me. I don't think anybody is superior to anyone. But so I why do say think white? Oh, go ahead. White supremacy is also, it's not white superiority, right? It's white supremacy, which is a system in which the world is structured so that white people are given better opportunities economically, sociologically, mm. are being you know, treated better in our society. And that's undeniable and inarguable. And I've seen it trickle out globally. You know, white supremacy is a global issue where people who are lighter skinned are treated better and given better job opportunities and numerous things, many, many books, documentaries, you know, talks. <laughs> that's not logical. Mm. That's not normal to think that way, that someone else outside there, over there. So it's impossible that the problem that the blacks are having is within themselves because your book talk about um, being stressed and all that stuff, right? So is it possible that it's not that white people are superior to the blacks? It's just the problem with the blacks within each individual, but they want to examine that. It's better to blame someone else than to look at self. No, I mean, my book is all about self-examination. Yeah, I know your book is. I definitely don't believe... Oh, yeah, also, am I, am I allowed to do, like, a... Oh, yeah, yeah. we definitely got to promote it, absolutely. <laughs> Please do, please do. Oh, you yeah. know, my book is all about self-examination uh, and introspection. I don't believe that anyone is superior to anyone. I think that society is structured in a way that elevates white people and upholds white supremacy, and, you know... I don't necessarily have to prove that to anyone. I definitely believe that and see it. I think a lot of other people do. And if you don't, that's completely okay. Is it possible you could be wrong, but the problem is with you and it has nothing to do with white people? I don't think that that's true, no. It's amazing. It's really amazing to me that black people feel that white people are superior. It explains a lot, too. Mm. When, I see, when I hear and see them protesting and talking about white supremacy, because... If they didn't believe it, they wouldn't be saying it. So mm. they do believe white people are superior. And that's why they beg for no. reparations, mm. affirmative action. And I, don't th I think you're do. conflating um, white supremacy, which is something that you've kind of applied to this conversation and not necessarily anything that I don't know that anyone... I mean, I'm sure some people believe it, but I don't know if that's necessarily the truth that I would You say to. in your book, white supremacy, frame your self-image. Yes. And what do you mean by that? I mean that, you know, if you look in our culture, 
particularly as a woman, white women are, you know, championed more. They're seen as the beauty standard. You know, I am in a lot of ways the opposite of what is seen as beautiful in this country. And as a young woman, you know, discovering myself, developing my self-esteem, you know, looking for representation, I didn't often find it because of white supremacy. Because, wow. Yeah. Do the white women make you feel that way? Absolutely not. They don't make you, you, you feel that way on your own? I mean, I don't feel that way anymore because I've become very comfortable with myself as a grown woman. I'm speaking more about how I felt as right. a 12-year-old girl. But when you felt that way, did the white women make you feel that way? No. And so I, why it's do also, you blame it's not about individual people. It's about a system and, and the way that our culture is presented. It's not necessarily about any individual person or even, you know, small group of people. It is a systemic global issue. And so your self-image then was the white woman better and prettier and better than me? It was, that's what the world thinks. I don't know that I actually that? believe that. So you how know, did it frame your image if you didn't think that? Because I was constantly having to come up against that and remind myself that I was beautiful, find ways to see and understand my worth and my value as I was coming up against a world that upholds white supremacy, upholds white people, and sees white women as being the beauty standard. What do the blacks want from the whites? What do you want from white people? Um, one, I can't, again, again, I can't No, you speak. personally, what do you want from the whites? Um, I don't necessarily want anything from white people entirely. I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about that at this point in my life. I think more about what I want out of life and what I want from all people, which is to heal and to be kind to each other and, you know, don't hurt themselves, as I say in my book. And when you say you don't want anything entitled from the white, do you want a little bit from the whites? What can they do for you a little bit? Mm, what do you mean? How can they make you feel better? I'm going to need you to go a little deeper. For, um, How can they enhance your self-image? I feel great. My self-image is fantastic. I mean, look at me. <laughs> Don't you think, or do you think, it's a little odd. Oh, I want to, uh, let me finish this and i get back to something. Absolutely, take your time. Do you think it's odd that the black people feel that white people somehow or another make them feel a certain way, has control over them, controlling them with the system. You don't think that's art that one human being think that another human being has control over them? It's not one human being and another human being. It is systemic. It and what is do you not mean about by systemic? You mean an example of systemic. Um, I think a really good example of something like that is the fact that the Crown Act, do you know what the Crown Act is? No. So it is an act that's now being put into law in several different states. It's, you know, going state by state and being passed. It essentially says that you can't discriminate against people based on their hair type. That is a tool of white supremacy where people are actually not being hired for jobs that they're well qualified for because of their hair. For example, I have oh, these yeah, braids in my that. hair. And there are a number of places in this country where people would look at me twice. I wouldn't be hired for a job. I would be out and out discriminated against, especially professionally, because of my hairstyle. And that, those are things that don't happen to white people and would likely never happen to white people. So because that's one people, example, but there are many. And, and white again, people many know where books they hear all, I mean, they do nowadays, but they don't wear their hair all like that. They normally do their hair. They, they look professional at work. Mm. What's wrong with wanting a black employee to look professional? I think that we can look professional with any hairstyle. I think but that. But some of these hairstyles. Go oh, ahead, I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. You go no, ahead. I'm sorry. You think what now? 
Oh, I was going to say, I think you can look professional with absolutely any hairstyle. And I think that professionalism um, is something that's made as a rule to uphold white supremacy. It's this idea that the only thing that's professional is what white people are able to do with their hair, as opposed to what the many things that black people are able to do with but ours. But you got to admit, since they passed the crown, I, I know what you're talking about now. They've only some, passed in a few states, to be fair. We've got a long way to go. So some of these women, these black women hair look a mess. They don't mm. comb it. It's just dry stuff up there. Mm. And they don't look like they just get out of bed, they wash their face, put on clothes. But their hair look a mess. Would you want someone working for you and they coming in with dry hair just sitting up there and they haven't touched it? If you own a business, or would you want them coming in looking professional? I think that most black women I know who are in professional environments take great care with themselves and with their grooming. But not the hair, though. They don't seem oh, to do yes. anything about the hair. They absolutely just, do. Like you, your and that's part, of, that's part of the issue, though, is that you know we're being chastised and discriminated against for the way that our hair looks as it grows out of our heads. I don't know if you've ever worked in an office with you know women of other backgrounds, but they come in with their hair wet, dripping wet, like they just got out of the shower. But that would look that's good not either. necessarily professional right. either. You're right, right, but they're not being discriminated against when it goes when it comes time to be hired for a job. They're not being called into the office and saying, hey, you know, your hair is dripping wet. It looks like you just got it. Well, how do you know job. they're not? Uh, because if it were happening to them, I promise you there would be laws being passed to stop it because that's how white supremacy works. So <laughs> if you own a business, you will be okay with your employee coming in just looking a mess in the head. What does that mean, a mess in the head? They comb their hair, it's dry, they put oil on it or you anything. You know their hair is dry? It looks dry. Well, I mean, no offense, Jesse, but should we be taking your hair advice? I don't know if you're so experienced in the subject, right? Who said that? I said, I don't know if we should be taking your advice on hair. No offense. No, I know, good, <laughs> I know, I know nice hair when I see it. You do? Yeah. Okay. And, and these women used, in the good old days, mm. when boys were boys and men were men, black women used to be, I mean, just amazing from the head to the toe, right? Really? Because they combed their hair, they took a bath, they mm. dressed nice, and they prevented themselves well. And as a result, they did very well in life. That's gone now. Why? Mm. Um, I don't, I can't, again, you're asking me about things before I was born. I can't tell you. I wish I could. But I feel like an old soul. Don't you want to go back to the good old days? I don't know what those days were. When black people were normal. <laughs> You know, when they were not abnormal, but normal. Mm. They weren't marching and protesting, calling the white man white supremacy, supremacy. They didn't believe that anyone was any better than them or less. Mm. Don't you want those kind of days back? I can't speak to that, you know. I was oh, born in 1990. I so if yeah, that's your how you generation has been lied to. I totally understand it. Our generation's been lied to about yeah, what? About slavery, about Jim Crow, and about what everything. What are some of the lies we've been told? That white people kept you down, white people supremacy to you, that white people made you feel a certain way, mm. and all that kind of... That wasn't like that. They lied to you. Wow, okay. You know Interesting. what I mean? Interesting. I don't know what you mean, but I'm very I'm interested in your perspective. I want to uh, ask you about living in the valley. It was segregated. Um, why would white people want to live with, and, and with the blacks when the blacks are so violent and destruction because everywhere they go, they create a hood, a ghetto, right? Mm. And white people tend to want to have beautiful neighborhood, paint their house and mm -hmm. cut the grass. Why wouldn't they, why would they want to live with the blacks knowing that that's going to happen, devaluing the property and all that? Why would they want to live 
with the blacks, knowing that that could happen? Oh, I definitely can't answer that question. I can't, I, I can't speak for all black people, and I certainly can't speak for white people, so I'm going to have to opt out of that one. No, but you said they were segregated in the valley, right, when mm -hmm. you were living there. But why would they want to live in an environment where they know that the blacks are going to screw it up? Oh, I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think that black people enhance almost every environment we live in because we're incredible. <laughs> they, they do what now? I said I think that black people tend to enhance every environment we are existing in because we are incredible and create culture and many beautiful things by and just do, being ourselves. And how do you define enhance? Hmm? How do you define enhance? I think, you know, we bring ourselves, we bring our love, we bring our light the way that, you know, I think many people can and have the capacity to. And so you don't see the who, the mess that they bring with them, like crime and they don't really take care of themselves, their neighborhoods very well. Do you see that happening? I can't really speak to that. I don't know that that's something I feel necessarily comfortable to offer any sort of perspective on. And, and why is that? Um, you know, I just don't feel comfortable doing that. But that's what love is, is to be honest about it so the blacks can get better. Mm, that's interesting. You agree with that? Hmm? That's what your book is all about. You're trying to help them, that's right? That's not what my book is about. My book is about my experience um, navigating right. grief and trauma. It's a very personal memoir. It's my story. I am not an expert on anything except my journey, and that was what my book is about. That is what my book and my film, actually, which is available on YouTube. It's Don't Hurt Yourself. It's same title as the book. Um, well, isn't the intent is to help? The intent is to share my story, and I hope that people, one, see themselves in it, and I hope that in some way it does touch and inspire them. Do you believe, though, that by telling them the truth of why white people don't want to be around them, maybe they would, as individuals, take a look at themselves and go, right, you're right about that. Everywhere we move... We move, we bring a mess with us. Nobody want to be around us like that. Then it'll start getting better because they have a knowledge within themselves, the blacks, that they're wrong, and white people don't want to be around them because of that, right? Wouldn't they start working on themselves mm. if you told them the truth about it, that it's them and not the whites? Mm, I, don't, I don't agree with that. But again, you know, this is your show and that's your perspective. But I and don't why don't agree you that. agree with that? Um, there's a few different things in there that just don't resonate with me and how I feel, but ultimately, like what, for that's not what, like, my book is about, so I'm not going to offer any sort of expertise or opinion on that. I think but you that's live how you through all this. You know about fear. this. I don't, again, I've lived through well, you live grief, through I've lived through trauma, I've had issues with addiction, I've lived through a number of yeah, things. Yeah, I want to ask you about that, but let me ask really this, about that. Let me ask this one other thing you said, you said that you've mentioned black and brown. Mm -hmm. Are you referring to the Mexicans? Um, I am referring to people who have brown skin, um, who don't identify as black, which is a very wide range oh, of I see. people. Did you know that Mexicans don't like blacks? They don't want to be around them either. Really? Where does it say that? Everywhere. I interview them over in South Central Los Angeles. There's uh -huh. a battle going on between the blacks and the Mexicans because the Mexicans say that the blacks are too violent. They mm. complain. They mess up the hood. Wow. And so why do the blacks involve, when they say, when they're talking about the black issue, they always say black and brown, black and brown, when the Mexicans are like, oh, don't put us in there. Most oh, wow. people don't like black people now because they're always complaining and so violent. You've interviewed most, have you interviewed most people? 
A lot. You interviewed a lot, a lot of people. What's your and focus I have group friends like? What are the numbers? Of all races, and they all say the same thing. Oh wow, that's interesting. You don't see that blacks and Mexicans don't like each other. I definitely would not say that. I, again, I haven't done the extensive interviewing and research that you have, so I, I can't really speak to that. Really? So you don't see it or anything? You, um, do you have to be an expert to see reality? I think reality is definitely subjective. I think everyone's reality is different. But do you have to be an expert to see reality? Um, again, I think everyone's... You can be an expert on your own reality, which I definitely am. I think I'm for sure an expert on my own experience in life, yeah. But you don't have to be an expert to see reality, right? Again, everyone's reality is subjective. So your reality and my reality are very different. No, that's not what I asked. Do you have to be an expert to see reality? Again, everyone's reality <laughs> is different. Amazing. So you don't Isn't necessarily... amazing? Hmm. Um... Oh, and so you ended up uh, becoming a, a, addicted to drugs and things, right? I had issues with addiction, yes. And and what brought that on? What was the reason? It was a way of uh, dealing with, well, rather not dealing with my grief. It was a way to sort of escape, you know, having to actually sit down with myself and heal, which is what I later did, and that's what helped me overcome those issues when I was finally ready to get to a place and and really deal with my grief head on instead of running away from it, which was a lot of what the issues with addiction were coming from. Yeah. yeah uh, people do use drugs as a means of escaping. Yes, they do. It's hard to look at themselves and take the pain and overcome. I do agree with that. But I'm telling you, that's the same thing that would happen with the blacks. If they looked at themselves and stopped blaming white people or anyone, mm -hmm. they will get better, but they got to become individuals, stop identifying with color, the mm. black, you know, they into the black thing. So you don't identify as black? No. What do you identify as? I am as? black as the ace of spades, right? Right. But. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a term from Alabama? I never heard that. <laughs> uh, black as the ace of spades, yeah. But that's not who I am. I'm not my mind. I'm not my body. I'm not mm. emotions. Have you noticed that thoughts and emotions are evil? No, I don't know about that. Thoughts and emotions are evil. Yeah. Mm, I, I don't subscribe to that for sure. And why not? Um, again, you know, I don't really subscribe to the idea of evil, so oh, I wouldn't yeah, necessarily put that, you know, aligned with thoughts and emotions. And where do thoughts, do you create your own thoughts? No. Oh, my God, I wish I did. <laughs> <laughs> where do they come from? I think they come from a lot of places, you know. I think our thoughts are influenced by many things. You know, I work in marketing and, and advertising and all of that, and a lot of the work that we do is influencing people's thoughts, you know. The thoughts, when you have painful thoughts, where do they come from? I often think they come from pain, you know, but um, the thing about painful thoughts, and I talk about this a lot in my book, right. is that you can reject them, you know. You can say, I... I'm not going to let this pain control me. Yes, I think this, and maybe in some ways it's true, but I'm going to choose to believe something differently. I speak a lot about positive affirmations, meditation, and really training your thoughts towards positivity. So you really don't, and I know it's kind of, it may be a little hard for you to talk about because, you know, on TV, but hmm. you don't see that black, the blacks' problems are their own problems and no one else it starts in the home because most black men and women, boys and girls, resent their mothers. The mothers turn mm. them away from their fathers. Mm. And they become like what they hate. They take on the same evil spirit as that's in their mother. I don't believe and that. You, you know, think that black mothers are evil? To the core. Oh, wow. 
Because that's where all the anger comes from. It started with the mother. Mm. She imposed her will on the that's kids. That's a lot of hurt and pain. What was your relationship she, with your mother like? She. Let me just tell you this. Mm. The mother turned the children away from the father and recreated the children her image, and then she played victim. Did your mother do that? She played. Let me just finish this. Okay. She played. She played victim and pretend the father was the. Uh, 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 victimizer was really her, so the kids identify with the mother mm. and turn away from the father and catch hell. Mm. It's in the home, but they're blaming the whites when it really starts in the home because the father's been screwed up by their mothers and they have not overcome wow. their mothers and they end up marrying women just like mm. mama and they can't deal with them. Mm. And so, and then you go into the world and the, and the people who want to control you, like the so-called civil rights leaders, and the experts, they tell you that it's racism, it's this, it's that, when it's really just hate that of the mother. That's why you have to forgive the mother so you can be better. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I touched the mic. You know what I mean? Uh, I've, that's a lot of pain you must have gone through in your life. I can't imagine whatever happened with you and your mother or whatever you've witnessed or seen, you know, I'm very sorry have for that. Have you noticed that, that the anger of the, of the kids is that of the mother? Oof. Um, That's what black people mm. are mad about. They hate their mothers and they're yearning for their fathers. Wow. But instead of looking within and understanding that, they have been told that it's white supremacy, it's Jim Crow, it's slavery. They don't even know anything about slavery. They wouldn't know slavery if they walked up and smacked them in the face. Well, I think it's very interesting that you mentioned slavery in a conversation with, <laughs> you know, black motherhood because... Black mothers are the only reason that black people were able to overcome and get through slavery so that That's you and true. I could be here. That is totally not true. Mm. But I got to ask, I got to ask you, um, do women have love? Men try to get love from women instead of giving women love. Do women have love to give? Can you say that again? Or, uh, what's, what's the question? Do women have love? Because a lot of men are trying to get love from a woman instead mm -hmm. of the woman getting the love from the man. Mm. And so when they can't get it, it starts a fight between the man and the woman because women don't have love to give. There's this order to life of God and Christ, Christ and man, man over woman and woman over children, right? Mm. And so the love comes from above. And if the man, the father, when the girl is a little girl, or the boy, too. If they're not getting the love of the father, then they're getting the, the hell from the mother, and so they become angry, and they pass the hell on to their children. Do women have love to give? I think everyone has love to give. It starts with women? us loving ourselves. I think everyone has love to give. It's How about just about women? tapping into it and expressing it. How about women? Do women have love to give? Absolutely. Everyone do they has get love that? to give. Where do women get the love? If it's not coming from above, where do they get it from? Are you speaking to how they receive love or how they give love or both? Do women have... I know how they have to receive it. It has to come from the Father, right? But I'm asking Love you, only has to come from the Father? Right, because women don't have it. They receive it, but they don't have it to give. You don't think and that the, women have love to give? Right. Have No woman has given you love, Jesse? If you notice that the love that they, that they uh, give, that the woman give, is mm. passed down through them from the Father to the children. Have you noticed that? So you think love only comes from our fathers? Yes. I don't agree with that. No. Uh, why not? 
Uh, because I think, again, love can come from anybody. Love can come from any source. I think my favorite form of love, and again, I talk about this in my book, is community, honestly. Everyone, men, women, people who identify, you know, outside of that gender binary can give and do give love. And that love can be so healing and so restorative and, you know, can be really, really precious. How does a community give love? Communities don't have love. Communities the absolutely love is in the, have is love. In the person, not a place. Well, that's the thing with the community and with community love. Each person brings their love, their way of loving into the community, and love is formed within that community and transferred back and forth between everyone. And in what many is love? Ways. It depends on you know who you ask. For I'm me, asking you, what is it? What what love is to me? No, yeah. What is love? What is love to me? Well, um, no, no, no. What is it? Period. What is love, period? Yeah. I, that's so definitive. I can't say what love is. I can say what love is to me. I can say how I express love, how I experience love, you know, how I've felt the most loved in my life, but I can't tell you what love is. What's love to you? Love is not hated. When you don't have anger, you have love. Mm. Anger is evil, and it's destroyed, and that's what happens with the children. The mother's angry. And anger is evil, and she passed that evil down What's to the children. What's she angry about? Um, her mother turned her away from her father. Or she mm. might get involved with a weak man who don't know how to help her come out of that hell, mm. but he goes into her hell with her. Mm. And she, women hate weak men. And women so, hate, What is a weak but, man? But most of all, it comes from it being passed on from the mother to the children. What's a weak man? A man that can't guide... A man that is not independent, that mm. is not driven by what is right, but looking for something from the outside to make him feel good, mm. and can't That's lead an his can't lead his woman in the right way to go. Ah, okay. You agree with that? I cannot say that I agree with that. But, and why not? You know, it's one. Why don't you, you agree with that? that? Um, Honestly, it just doesn't seem like a very sound belief that I would subscribe to. Really? So you don't believe that love is not hating? I don't necessarily think that that's true. I definitely don't think that hate um, is a good thing. I think that having hate in your heart can be very, very difficult. I think one of the most damaging forms of hate is actually self-hate. And, you know, many people do, unfortunately, experience that for many reasons. But I don't necessarily think that hate and love, again, I don't think that, I don't think it's such a binary way, but I don't think of love being here and hate being another. I think actually all emotions are kind of on a spectrum. And honestly, in a lot of ways, I think a lot of things come from love, whether people realize it or not. Sometimes you're angry because of love, actually. Really? Yeah. You think anger is love? No, I don't think anger is love. And what no. do you, how do you deal with your anger? How do I deal with my anger? Uh -huh. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, meditation, yoga, prayer, creative expression. In uh, my short film, I, so there's a part in the film, so the film's in five parts, and one of them, which is um, the part that I think is a collision or something like that, where I sing a song, it's a punk rock song by a band called Bikini Kill, it's called Feels Blind, and that helped me to express a lot of my anger. The song is really about, you know, how a lot of the things in the world that are taught to us, especially about ourselves, aren't necessarily true. But it doesn't cause you to overcome anger. 
It just, it gives you I a farce. It, does. Of, it gives you a farce that's a feeling good while you're doing it, but when you're alone or someone, no, no, it's about or someone says it. something. You know, anger it, is an emotion and you have to let it move through you. And I think all the things I just listed that I do personally help me to get anger to move through me. So yes, it, it very much does resolve itself. You don't have to hold on to anger. You don't have to hold on to anger. And what do you do when it comes back? Um, you know, it's something you have to continuously meet, right? It's like every emotion you have to meet. You have to meet love when it shows up. You have to meet anger when it shows up. You have to meet stress and anxiety when it shows up. Depression, you have to meet it and you have to move through it each time. Because, you know, amazing. emotions do always you, come back. Do you believe that you can have perfect peace on earth while you live? Oh, no, because Earth is not peaceful. But I think that we can find peace in our very small ways in our moments. And that's why I think, again, meditation has been so restorative for me because it's kind of grabbing those moments of peace where you can when you can. And so you, do you have perfect peace? I don't have perfect peace, but I am able to find peace in We're some moments. But not perfect peace. In some moments. In like a fleeting moment, it might feel perfect, but then, you know, the phone rings. And do you have <laughs> anger? Yes, there are a lot of things I'm angry about. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, and I think that anger can be fuel for change as individuals and as a community. Sometimes anger is what moves you forward. You still have to deal with it. You still have to work through it. You still have to but not let it rule evil. you. But it's it can evil. move you forward. That's what you believe. I no, didn't it say is. That. It's pretty, it causes nothing but trouble. But hmm, I got to ask. That's interesting. A lot of black women, I think I saw it either your book or your video, maybe mm -hmm. the video, part of the video. Mm -hmm. You said that you were a strong black woman. I said that I was raised to be a strong black woman. I was raised to believe that that's, you know, what I was supposed to take on. I'm supposed to take on everybody's issues and problems and, you know, oh, I see. move everybody through and, and hold who everybody taught up. you that? I think a lot of society puts that on. You know, again, a tool of white supremacy is the defeminization of huh. black women. And So white you know, people made white people de... de Feminization. Defeminized. White women. Um, women. I think a lot of times black women are pushed in society and, and um, perpetuated in society to not be feminine and not be deserving of those sort of same, that same softness and grace and so you uh, consideration that, that white, other women, especially white women, are given. You really believe that a white person or white people can make you feel less feminine, feminism? I, didn't, I think how I feel as a woman and how any other person may feel as and identify as a woman is going to be different as individuals. I, know, but you I do think that society does have a tendency to sort of rob women of color, especially black women, of our femininity. But yeah. that's so weak. Culturally. That way, that's ways. so It's so weak. Well, are you a black woman? Do you know how it feels to live inside our if skin and inside our world and our lives? If women had good fathers and good mothers, they wouldn't be feeling that way. Mm. Did you have a good father and a good mother? I did. That's wonderful. That's beautiful. They had their issues, but I did. Yeah, they were human, They right? did the best they could. Um, Amen. But that doesn't seem... And I understand because I hear a lot from the blacks, right? Mm. Oh, I, I know what I wanted to ask. First, let me finish this. That doesn't seem abnormal to say that another human being can make you feel a certain way. That doesn't seem abnormal. I, you know, as I said in the beginning of our conversation, I think people impact other people constantly, whether we but know it or not. But that's not normal, though. I don't subscribe to normal, remember? I'm not a, I'm not a washing machine. <laughs> I, I, I mentioned earlier about how the, the whites don't want to be with the blacks for the most part because the blacks are so distrusted and very angry. You do admit that the blacks are very angry, right? 
I do not admit, nor did I say that, no. Well, are they very angry? I can't speak for all black people, so I don't know. But the ones you see out there robbing and stealing and killing and raping and carrying uh, on. Oh, wow. Is that love think, or, or hate? I think a lot of people of different cultures commit those acts, unfortunately, and it is, it's heartbreaking no matter what the color of the person is. Is it love or hate? Um, I mean, it's definitely not love. Is it hate? Hmm? Is it love or hate? Hate is is what love or hate? Just when they were doing those things to one another, is that love or hate? It definitely doesn't come from a place of love, but, you know, I can't speak to what any person is thinking or feeling or experiencing when they commit those acts. And again, many people of many different cultures, colors, and backgrounds commit those acts. Well, then how do you know it doesn't come from a place of love? Oh, that's, I mean... Uh-huh. Mm. I, in my mind, those things don't come from a place of love. But again, that's my opinion, right? Well, since you so, haven't spoken to her about it, how do you know it's not coming from a place of love? You know, I haven't spoken to anybody, so I don't know why anyone does anything. Oh, I wanted to tell you this, actually this, about the blacks and their violence and destruction. They bring hoods into the neighborhood, the nice hood, mm-hmm. in the nice neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I, would, I lived in Indiana for one year. Okay. And went to school there in 11th grade. Mm-hmm. And prior to that, Gary, Indiana was a beautiful place to live. Mm. You know, the whites ran the place for the most part. They owned the businesses. Mm. They uh, had nice schools and it was safe. You can go jogging and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and in my generation of blacks mm-hmm. that moved there, they had jobs, they bought mm-hmm. homes, and they were living decently too, took care of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, the blacks decided they want a black mayor. Mm. And so they elected a black mayor of Gary, Indiana. Interesting. And they had the election on Tuesday. And the very next day, it, the blacks went crazy. They mm. were yelling, they were fighting, they were cursing, they were destroying. They were attacking white kids in the school, in the hallway. They were fighting with the Mexicans on the bus. And they destroyed Gary, Indiana. Really? Yeah, it became... Gary, a, Indiana no longer exists? It, no, it's, it's a mess. It's a mess. You I've never been there. Never been you to can't Gary, jog on the streets anymore. Oh, wow. Violence everywhere. Empty buildings and just a real mess. If blacks don't create ghettos, why did they create Gary? And I can name a whole bunch of rest of in South Central LA, everywhere. Why did they do that? And why would the white people want to live with them knowing that they're going to do that? Uh, I'm not going to answer that question, Jesse. You're not going to answer that? I'm not going to answer what that question. What the? Why not? Well, first of all, the example of Gary, Indiana. I've never been to Gary, Indiana, so I'm not going to speak on it. Somewhere. I wouldn't want anybody speaking on Los Angeles if they've never been, so I'm not going to do that to Gary. Amazing. What is a woman? What is a woman? What is a woman? I think a woman is whatever she believes herself to be. And I also think that one of the best things about being a woman is that you get to be the hero in your own story, as I've been the hero in mine with my book and my film. Amazing. Um, black people, not all, not all, not all, but more, they want something for nothing without earning, they call it affirmative action, that kind of stuff. There was a black woman put on the U.S. Supreme Court, not because she was qualified. She didn't even know what a woman was. They asked her that during the hearing. And uh, she didn't know what that was. 
She like it. She very much is aware hey, of what a woman she said is, she didn't know. was, and she also um, she is incredibly qualified and talented. She and wasn't more than deserves that position. It's Joe actually Biden long said overdue that I'm for a black a woman, woman to be on the Supreme Court. It didn't matter. I'm getting a woman of color, and he hired this woman not because well, of the president doesn't hire. Uh, well, you know, Supreme Court judges. Court, yeah. yeah, it's actually, you, you know, it's a okay? process. We all watched it on, on CNN. Are you okay with putting blacks in positions not because they qualify, but because of their color or, or there may be a female or, or that? Which is best to be qualified based on qualification or color? I have never or seen gender. a black person appointed to any position. That they woman was. Fully qualified for. That woman was not qualified. Oh, she absolutely she was. She didn't even she know what a woman was. Very experienced judge. No, it was very experienced judge. But I'm asking because of time here. I'm asking, which is best to find qualified people, or put them there because of their color or gender? I think what's best is to find the incredibly qualified, talented black. People of color, all sorts of people well, from various backgrounds. Oh, yes, they do. There are Blacks many. Blacks are not living up to that at all. Oh, yes, they absolutely are. As really? are many people of many backgrounds who aren't given opportunities to be Supreme Court judges and doctors and many, many See, things. you say given the opportunity, not earning the opportunity. Oh, they earn the uh -huh, opportunity. I got you on they that They absolutely you earn those opportunities. given the opportunity. The opportunities are not placed it. in front of them at the uh -uh. same rate because they're often placed in front of white You're people. You're not who, embarrassed that Blacks are being put in these positions because they... Of the color and not because of qualification? That doesn't bother you at all? Again, I've never seen a black person appointed to a position that they weren't more than qualified for, and then some. Really? Mm -hmm. Are you involved in politics? I am not involved in politics okay. any more than any person is because politics is a part of all of our lives. Did you vote for the Great White Hope? Who? The Great White Hope. Who is that? Donald Trump. No, I did not vote for Donald Trump. Are you going to vote for him this time around? I absolutely will not. Come on. Let's get a vote for him this time. He needs it. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you recording this? <laughs> I'm sorry. You I got have... to turn your phone on. I have to it's laugh. It's illegal for you to record. I have to laugh. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't think she's recording. I, I, yeah. We were told not to record. I don't think she's recording. So we have <laughs> you on camera. You cannot record this. And you have recorded her. Huh? I just saw you recording. What's your name? Huh? What's your name? And so I'm telling you that you cannot be recording this. And why are you doing it? Um, she was told not to record. And yeah, I just saw her recording. recording. Uh, she is not recording. She is probably on Instagram or something or other, as millennials tend to be. Are we almost? Uh, I don't yeah, know what we're time almost it done. Is. Let me put okay. you on the. I gotta heat this up. Okay, you got, you're right. This is a segment on the show, right? Called the hot seat. Yeah, this okay. is a hot seat. All right. I need you to answer these <laughs> questions as quickly as possible. As quickly as possible. I don't get time to think. Right. Can I pass? Can I go pass? <laughs> <laughs> the hot seat. I think we've already discussed this, but I ask it over. What is love? Hmm. What is love? Love can be many things to many people. Do you love white people? I love all people and see the goodness inside of people even when they aren't able to show it in the world. Do you love white people? Hmm? Do you love white people? I love all people and I see the goodness in all people even when they aren't able to show it in the world. Do you love white people? <laughs>
Are you going to ask another question or are you going to keep asking the same question and getting the same answer? Do we need more white babies? <laughs> I think that uh, with climate change, I don't know if we need any more babies, period. Have you noticed the earth is burning up? <laughs> is it possible for a person to have perfect peace? I think you can find moments of perfect peace, yes, but they're fleeting. Last month was um, Women's History Month. Mm -hmm. Did you know that? I did know that, yes. And then did you know that in August we celebrate Men's History Month? And where? During the month of August. In August. We, ce we celebrate Men's History Month. Huh, who celebrates that? Men. Okay, interesting. I, haven't, I have not witnessed that. Is, is, is that a great idea, though, an amazing idea? I think men have been uh, pushed up enough and put forward enough throughout history <laughs> that I don't know that we need a month. But, you know, you can celebrate whatever you want to celebrate. I like to celebrate Beyonce's birthday. So. We also celebrate... <laughs> That's why I named my book after her. <laughs> we also celebrate <laughs> White History Month in July. Did you know that? Uh, no, I did not this know that. This is six year coming up this July. The six year. So is that like you and your community here at the Fallen State? You celebrate White History Month? No, it's worldwide. It's worldwide. It's amazing. Will you celebrate White History Month with us? Uh, I have never heard of that, so I can't say that I will be celebrating that. Does a bear shit in the woods? <laughs> Where else is a bear gonna shit? <laughs> is the earth? Flat or round? The Earth is round, as far as I know. But you know, I'm not an astronomer, so. Are you okay with society, uh, social media companies censoring conservatives? Huh? Um, what is a conservative? You don't know what a conservative? Is? I what what is a conservative, and in what ways are they being censored? Are you okay with social media censoring conservatives? Social companies and media. Well, social media companies are privately owned companies, and they can do whatever they want. And are you so okay with it's that? It's not for me to sign off on it. Are you okay with it, though? Um, I don't know that that's for me to say. If I'm okay with it or not, they're going to do what they want to do because they're privately held and owned companies. Is America the best country on this side of heaven? On this side of heaven? Yes. As in, like, you know, heaven's up there and we're down here? Is America the best country on this side of heaven? Um, I think that no country is better than any other country. Who do you prefer, Beyonce or uh, Rihanna? Oh, why would you? Why would you ask me to make that choice? That's <laughs> Sophie's choice. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> Did Big Mama Michelle Obama eat up all the ribs? Excuse me? Did Big Mama Michelle Obama eat up all the ribs? Where? Did she eat up all the ribs? <laughs> I doubt that she's eaten all the ribs. And I don't know if I would refer to her as Big Mama Michelle. Will you be receiving any reparations? Oh, 100%. I'm actually, you know what? On Thursday, I think it's of this week. It might be next week. I have to check my calendar. There's actually a meeting at the California African American Museum for the uh, Reparations Commission Board. So they're inviting people in to be a part of the conversation and making sure that black people receive reparations in California. Is it okay for a black man to love the Confederate flag? I think that anyone can love whatever they choose to love as long as they aren't hurting anybody. Does a chicken have lips? no idea, actually. I don't know a lot about animals. I've never even had a dog. <laughs> nice. Did you have fun? Um, you know, I appreciate being invited, and it was uh, great to be in conversation with you, and thank you for supporting my work and my book. I'm going to show my book. Yeah, tell the folks how to get your book and your, whatever you're doing. Yeah. You have a, 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 a little commentary, a, 
a movie or something about that, right? Yes, I have. So it's a short film and it's a book um, of the same title, Don't Hurt Yourself, a memoir of grief tra of healing through grief, trauma, and addiction. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. I absolutely appreciate it. Uh, so let me ask you, uh, so are you free now or are you still dealing with the trauma and stuff like that? Oh, I love that question. I do feel very free now, yes. So you're not dealing with it at all? I have my issues with anxiety and depression, as many people do, but I have much better tools for it. And the journey of healing that I went on that I detail in my book and my film definitely helped me arrive here, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm very blessed. Well, thank you for coming. And thank you. thank you all for tuning in. I absolutely appreciate it. Don't forget that the Father State is on locals.com. So click the link in that uh, will take you to the uh, description there, the video there. And thank you. You can also be a member of the Father State and support us in that way as well. They're on YouTube. And don't forget to let us hear from you. I absolutely appreciate it. Follow, like, ring the bell, and all that good stuff. Thank you all, and thanks again for coming. Thank I appreciate you. it. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like your catchphrase, amaz amazing? Yeah. I love it.